feeling this here. Yeah, son, you feel it, man. Roll it up, son. You gotta just do it, yo. Yo, roll up, man. It's a different channel, son. Roll up, on, man. Roll up, watch the channel, son. Different plane now, man. It's all good. Roll it up, all good, baby, in every hood, son. Roll it up, yo. CNN, Network, Channel 10. It's on again. Street niggas, it's grown men. Bold face, got in your face. Stay in place, yo, crime lace. Cast more beef than Scarface. CNN, Network, Channel 10. It's on again. Street niggas, this grown men. Bold face, got in your face. Stay in place, yo, crime lace. Channel 10 podcast, we're in the building, the new audio quality and everything. Yeah. And um, just to let everybody know, we're being brought to you once again by the good folks at Audible. You can check out audibletrial.com slash channel 10, get your 30-day free trial. Get your audio book on if you're interested in podcasts. You'll probably enjoy audio books. Listening to people who know what they're talking about. Talk about various things from, you know, real books where people get knowledge and things from. So there's over um, 150,000 titles to choose from. So make sure you go to channel10.com. I mean, excuse me, audibletrial.com slash channel10. And sign up for your 30-day absolutely free trial. And while you're at it, you can go to channel10podcast.com, click on the Amazon links, and support us by doing that before you do your shopping via Amazon. And um, <clears throat> now that all oh, that's out of the way, what's good? Uh, nothing much, man. Just... Chilling, it's, it's getting it's getting even hotter, man. The uh, I feel like I tend to talk about the weather every time uh, <laughs> we begin the podcast, but um, you know the the heat index got up to I think 103 today, 104 for the uh, the previous day. So hot shit going on, hot shit, hot shit. <laughs> yeah. I don't even know what the weather's like here because I'm in the office all day <laughs> under uh, climate controls with no sunlight or anything like that, just slaving away. But um, I feel your pain, brother. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I try to um, I try to stay out the house as much as possible, but um, you know, um, you do kind of want to be in your own place, especially if you pay if you pay all the rent and the bills here. Right. Sometimes right. I feel like it's going to waste, but um, you know, I think based on me using the AC, you know, maybe six hours a day on average so far, it doubled my electric bill. So it wasn't too too bad, but you know, it's much higher in the winter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know, man. My girl, she blasts the AC to the point where like. That feeling that I had in the wintertime where I was like, man, I can't wait till it's summer so I don't have to feel like this anymore. Mm-hmm. I, I still have that feeling. <laughs> Damn, man. Like, yeah. she's like on some whole, she wants to set it so that, um, oh, she wants to set it so that um, it's always 65 degrees in there. I'm like, 65 degrees? That's winter time. Like, that's a, the best you get during the winter, you know? 
Yeah, man, that's uh, yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty cold, you know. Especially, you know, if you, you know, look at the the, the body temperature and what it usually is, isn't it like what ninety eight point six or point seven or something like that? Yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think traditionally it was ninety eight point six. I did see something about how they might be revising it, but yeah, it's about ninety eight point six. So when you're talking about sixty five degrees, you're talking about uh, hoodie weather. <laughs> Yeah, um, although, you know, it always seems like, you know, seven, well, and I guess it makes sense, you know, 70, 70 degrees in the summertime is a bit different than 70 degrees in the wintertime. You know, like 70 degrees inside here, it'll probably still be pretty cold, you know, but then if I can get it up to, you know, maybe um, 76, you know, 77, it's cool, but then when it gets like 80, it's too hot. Man, I'm good with 80 right now. Maybe I'm becoming anemic or something like that, but I need I need 80 degrees. <laughs> Damn, man. Well, I mean, you just had some black beans, right? You got, you got, you're getting that iron in you. Yeah, that's true. You know, I'm trying to get my fiber and my iron up. It's, um, you know, we just watched um about half of that documentary, Fed Up, and, um, you know, it really... Um, shows the importance of you know getting your getting your fiber and various other uh, minerals and nutrients and things. So you know I'm definitely on that, and I feel like you know I haven't been to a nutritionist, but I feel like I'm getting you know all the nutrients that I need, but I still need that heat. Hmm. I don't know, man. I I really think that it's kind of impossible to get all the nutrients you really need. I think the way, you know, how, you know, the the way nutrition is kind of treated is kind of, you know, I guess depicted in, a, you know, in, in a fashion really kind of perfectionist. Yeah. Be, because, you know, if you look at, all these crazy diets, diets that you know that that are around, you know this whole paleo diet, and you know I didn't even know they even had a um a magazine dedicated to the paleo lifestyle. Oh yeah, yeah, I, I think I've seen that before, and there's numerous websites about it too. Yeah, it's crazy, but you know, um, you know, but you you but there's really no such thing as getting the proper nutrients, and I mean, but then you know, I guess it kind of it really depends, you know. I think because uh, what vitamin b12 and like some other like complex b vitamins i believe um you only need like a little bit of and you know your body can store certain amounts of vitamin like vitamins and minerals for a certain certain amount of time i mean like when you think about it when you think about the quote-unquote natural human or whatever you know before uh the advances of the type of civilization that we have now you had all these cultures and all these different places and different climates and they all listed off of various different diets you had people living in places like Alaska who subsisted just off of the meat that they get from like bears and walruses and things like that and then you had people in tropical climates who got you know what they needed from um, you know whatever it is that they had around and humanity still survived you know so yeah. when you start to get into these perfectionist nutritionist type things it's like you know I guess 
it kind of gets into, you know, what do you think that you need it for, you know? Like, I mean, I guess now, you know, we're bigger and stronger and, you know, the kids now are so much taller. Like, you know, when I go out, I see these high school kids, they all look like they're six feet and above. But, yeah, I don't know. It's I think the definition of what's proper is very, um, it's almost a social construct, you know. Yeah, that um, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And you know, it's, um, I had a conversation uh before actually, and you know, another diet, you know, another I think example that we did mention was um, you know, the uh, potatoes and how you know the the Irish they survived on potatoes and they I, I'm assuming they turned out um fine and. Um, I don't, yeah, I don't know, man, you know, cause you know, e even for example, even, you know, we were talking about the, the average body temperature and you just said that they're going, that they're going to change it. Yeah. Like the, uh, the standards, you know, it, you know, it changes over time. I guess, you know, whatever doesn't kill you or make you sick is what's good. <laughs> Yes, sir. that's a good point. But then, I mean, going to alcohol and alcohol is a poison. But apparently, you can, you know, based on different standards, you you should you, you can only have what two two drinks a day, and where you know in Europe you can have three to four drinks a day. <laughs> yeah, and it makes you wonder, like, um, what are the other, um, I guess environmental things that also contribute to it like is the american lifestyle only suited to that many drinks a day or is it just that many drinks a day is what's going to kill you and just the people in different places have a different standard of what's killing you or not like that's that's a good point um you, you know if i had if i had to speculate when it when it came when it comes to the recommend for an American to drink a day, um, it, a lot of it probably has to go back to, pro, to, uh, to prohibition since that wasn't too long ago. I mean, you know, I think um, it also goes down to what, like, you know, they tell you, you know, what the definition of a drink is, but I still, like, what is a drink? Like, like that's not necessarily a quantifiable unit because you have these different beers with different alcohol contents. You have different types of liquor. You have wine. Like, what exactly constitutes a drink? Like, I've never seen a specific alcohol, um, you know, percentage or, you know, measurement that constitutes that. And then a drink is different to different people with different body chemistries who have eaten different things during the day. So... You know, it's all subjective and it's all, I don't know, like, not really real, you know? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. Um, no, I know. Oh, I was going to say, and, and, you know, from the libertarian uh, standpoint, you know, we're still in prohibition because, um, <laughs> you know, all drugs aren't free and legal. <laughs> Yeah, it's a it's a good point. I mean, I, I know you know in my case, you know certain things that I do, um, 
you know, my doctor, a lot of things, you know, my doctor will tell me that, you know, based on the average, whoever makes this shit up, she always says they, whoever they is, um, you know, it's, you know, what I'm doing is against, you know, who, what, who, whatever these people make, but based on her standards is okay. And then a lot of times she, she bases, you know, she'll base it around my diet and my body type and how tall I am and, and so on and so forth. So based on her standards, it shouldn't really affect me compared to the average um, American male who is what I think. I think that the, the height of the average American man has changed. Isn't it like five nine now or five eight? Five, I don't even know. I haven't even seen anything about that. But I think a lot of things that these people don't take into consideration is that you know we're super niggas. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like you know we're outliers on the um on the spectrum of uh american normalcy <laughs> yeah, that's very true and then you know it's, it's interesting you know if you go into like various um you know different cultures like um in okinawa you know they have the highest rate of longevity in the world yeah, and you know they really base it around that diet. But if you know there was like this article I read where these dietitians came in and they studied you know these people who are like a hundred years old or approaching a hundred, and they base a lot of it on their diet, their social activity. But when they asked them specifically, a lot of them really thought that you know having a drink or two every evening helped them um, stay alive. Yeah, I think um, I was either listening or reading something about them in uh, Okinawa, and um, I think, you know, I don't know if this is like a like a conclusive conclusion, but one of the things that they came up with is that um, social interaction is a big part of, and, you know, community, like their sense of community is one of the things that keeps them alive. Um, so long, just, you know, strong social ties and family bonds and all that other type of stuff. And, you know, somehow that keeps you alive longer. And, um, I think that that was shown in America. Um, it was something about like a group of people, maybe the Dutch or the Germans in Pennsylvania or something like that. And like one group well, like, there were two different groups in two different towns or whatever, and one town had more of a social thing than the other ones, and the uh, life expectancy of the one that had, you know, a better social or, you know, you know more of a community to it, um, they lived a lot longer with the same diet, the same work habits, and everything. Hmm, yeah, that's that's interesting. And, you know, the, and, you know if you want to... Um I guess, you know, get a little ex um, existential, it kind of goes into this whole idea of, you know, this will to live. And, you know, you hear it all the time, you know, if someone dies of natural causes and they're on their deathbed and the, and the doctor will say, you know, well, it's really up to them, whatever mm. that really means. Um. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that goes into, um, I guess what we were talking to earlier, um, about that uh that that uh interview on Combat Jack with uh Big Pun's wife and son when she was talking about how, you know, when he died, you know, he pretty much knew he was gonna die and he was calling people up and he was just like, Yo, you got me 
And then she was like, yeah, he just looked like he was at peace. And then just went into a heart attack. Like, you know, he was just ready. Yeah. But, you know, it... I mean, uh, yeah, I, it seemed like he wanted to die. It seemed like he was just, um, based on what she says, you know, her yeah. story is that he was just this miserable person, unfortunately. Yeah, and, you know, every other story that you hear about him, they always talk about him being a jokester and, you know, just this amazing person to be around, but... You know, you always hear about, you know, these types of people who are always so happy all the time around people and how a lot of times that's kind of like a front for, you know, what's really going on with them. And I guess, you know, anytime you see somebody with that amount of weight and, you know, there's something to that that's, you know, psychological a lot of times. So um, I think definitely, you know, your environment um, plays a lot into... Um, and, you know, just your general upbringing plays a lot into, you know, I guess your life expectancy because, you know, for one, if you're coming from a negative environment or you're in a negative environment, it kind of makes you do self-destructive types of things. And then, you know, sometimes when you just feel good just because of where you're at, you know, it just makes you feel better for some reason. Like you can be sick or like, you know, an example of, you know, you can feel sick when you're at work in the office and as soon as you step outside and you just feel the sun and you're just free for the next couple hours, you know, you just feel way better. And, mm -hmm. you know, whatever pain that you might have had in your body just all of a sudden goes away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but then, you know, then, then there's the other side where you're in uh, an entirely different environment, you know, maybe even better, but then you're, just, you're, you're not used to it and it affects you kind of in a negative manner. Yeah, I mean, that's, um, that's very true. I don't know, it's just, life is so complex. Like, um, I knew somebody who, um, you know, was from, um, the Virgin Islands, and, you know, she was from some small little island that nobody ever heard of before, and she said that it was just so beautiful that she just almost went crazy, <laughs> mm. and, like, I saw the pictures, I'm like, wow, like, you know, the places like this really exist, and people really live normal lives there, and they see that every day, and it's like, you know, I don't know, maybe that could make somebody go crazy, I don't know. I guess it's kind of like that whole story of um, the Buddha and how, you know, he was so sheltered his whole life around everything, but he knew that there were other things that were going on. And even though he was living this great life, you know, he had to, he had to go out and experience that suffering to get to his uh, eventual uh, enlightenment. Yeah. Um and you know it seems you know sometimes it seems like a lot when a lot of people they travel and they go on these these journeys a lot of it in certain instances has something to do with suffering in a way you know it's a challenge you don't really know where you're going you don't know where you're going you don't you know you may not even know how you're getting there but you know that you're going to do it and then you know from that journey you learn a lot from it yeah and then you know some 
and like you can see it like when you see these people who um just constantly have an urge to test themselves and you know keep pushing and pushing through you know whatever it is whether it's a physical thing or you know an artistic thing it's like you know you push through that suffering whether you know like like you hear about some writers who can't stand writing in the process of making a book but when that book is done and you know it's getting all the accolades and everything you know it feels great once they have the final product and it's just there but when you're going through it you know it's definitely a struggle and suffering but you know you get something out of it I guess on a physical level and a productive level and an actual you know quantifiable level and then maybe too on an emotional or quote-unquote spiritual level or whatever yeah it can it can be uh it can be quite euphoric and you know i guess that that's what um also gives more meaning uh to life itself anyway yeah and like um you know um you hear about um, different artists and athletes, and I guess more so with the athletes, but also too with the artists, and I, like how like a lot of them turn to drugs, because it's like you know you get that euphoric experience when you're um, when you're up on stage or you're on the court or you're doing whatever it is, uh, or doing whatever it is that you do, but that 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 you know that feeling is fleeting and temporary. And, you know, you want to keep it going somehow, some way, even when, you know, you might be on your decline and, you know, you're not able to do it on the level that you did it. So it's like, you know, you start to look to other things which might be kind of destructive or counterproductive because a lot of people, they look at that one thing as like the one thing that they're able to do that's going to give them that feeling and not able to, you know, channel it into other things or find other interests and things. But, you know... You try to capture that euphoric experience of working on something and then achieving it or experiencing it and being in that moment. And then once it's gone, what do you do? Yeah. And, um, you know, even even with athletes, it's even a bit different because, you know, they they deal with a lot of adrenaline. Um, mm. You know, every game and, you know, through workouts, you know, trying to get that final rep trying to learn that that you know that that move if you're an mm you know in um in mixed martial arts or trying to you know learn that catch or get that formation right in football or something like that um and it, i guess it makes a bit you know a bit you know i guess it makes more sense that um you know a lot of times you know stories about athletes they tend to go to go to coke mm which I guess in a sense kind of, you know, amps them up and maybe, you know, gives them that sense of euphoria that they get from adrenaline. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And I guess it's the same thing with, um, you know, a lot of these old rock stars and, you know, rappers and things like that. You know, it's like, you know, when the curtains close and the lights die down and, you know, you're not on that same stage in front of all those people and getting that same feeling, you know, it's like, what do you do? Yes, you do coke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I guess uh, to make a, a transition about someone who has gone through suffering and he really is experiencing, it's, at least it seems like, um, a sense of euphoria. Um, what do you think about Meek Mill and his 
steady ascendance into hip hop relevancy? Um, it's it's really interesting because I think everybody was shocked, you know, by his uh his album sales, and um, you know, I've heard various people say that you know he is the voice of you know the people in the streets or whatever, and he's going to be the one. He's that next guy to do it, and um, I don't know. He he's kind of weird because when you see him in his interviews, he's so um. Just he just seems unpolished and like he doesn't really feel like being there. Yeah, um, especially on that Breakfast Club interview. But it seems like a lot of people look that way, and I'm assuming it's because it's you know first thing in the morning, mm. and that's like the worst time to catch a rapper. But he seemed I don't know he seemed. Um, he seemed more into it on the Breakfast Club. When I saw him on the, um, Angie Martinez interview, he seemed like, I mean, maybe he was busy and everything like that, but he just seemed like, yo, I don't fuck with none of this shit. Like, <laughs> I'm going to just answer these questions and get the fuck up out of here. And um, I don't know. It's, it's so, it, you, know, you know, it's really interesting because um, he didn't have, you know, a big, huge single. Um and it makes me wonder how much of his relevancy is attributed to his um, his relationship with uh, Nicki Minaj, who is, you know, the big pop star, American Idol judge, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, you know, going back to how 50 Cent kind of always described Jay-Z and Beyonce, how, you know, once he got with Beyonce, his career just went you know, it's, you know, skyrocketed because she's a world artist and he's, you know, you know, he was kind of a hood artist, not, you know, like straight, straight hood on some Gucci man stuff, but, you know, he definitely wasn't, um, you definitely wouldn't have seen him where he is now. Hello? Yeah, you hear me? Yeah, you, uh, you broke up toward the end. Oh, um, I was saying, you know, like, not saying that um that you know Jay Z was like you know the straight super hood artist, but you wouldn't necessarily see him, you know where he is now, um, necessarily without that Beyonce influence. Some would argue. Uh yeah, that's that's uh that's true. I mean, and I don't I don't see Jay Z doing. I mean, as he is today, if it wasn't for Beyonce, there's just there's no way. Um, I think, um, but when it comes to Meek Mill, the thing about I think it's a bit different because you know Nicki Minaj, she's coming off of that pretty much that commercial failure of an album of hers. Mm. Um, I, I'm assuming it's gone gold by by this point because she's Nicki Minaj's least. But you know Beyonce doesn't, she hasn't really had a commercial failure. Um, you could possibly argue that kind of was like based on her standards but you know but I mean anyway I think another thing about Meek Mill is that you know this is something I didn't really want to um I didn't want to accept but it does seem like he kind of has his own you know niche when it comes to uh him being like the street artist 
because if you look at the field now, um, you know, you have your young thugs and your rich homie Quans, and I mean, maybe outside, you know, outside of maybe them, there really aren't any fired ones. You'll get your, you know, your OG Macos who pop in and out, and then even if they, you do have a street artist, they sing like, um, like Future. So you know, they can do a, you know, uh, turn the lights on real quick or something like that, which really um, captivates the primary audience that buys their albums. Yeah, I mean, Mick, Mick kind of did a little bit more with this album, and um, but um, yeah, he, I mean, I think you don't have that northeastern street artist so much. I guess you know the interesting thing about Meek is you know watching his interviews, he says a lot of the same stuff that Troy Ave says it. Maybe he doesn't say it as blatantly as Troy Ave says it, but you know Troy Ave will say something like, "There's a whole bunch of weirdo artists." Where Meek will be like, I really don't listen to any of these artists. I mean, Kendrick, you know, he's cool, no diss to him. He's real lyrical, but he doesn't touch me, you know, the way, like, you know, pause, like, like maybe a future would. Because <laughs> future's talking that shit that I want to hear or some shit like that. But Meek, and I, I don't know, like, I don't know because, you know, Meek is from Philly, and, you know, Philly and Baltimore are very similar in a lot of ways. And, he he seems like what a Baltimore rapper would be if they got to that point, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, even down to the dirt bikes and just all that shit, like, <coughs> excuse me. Um, And I think that, you know, just that thing about him that I can see, you know, you know, gravitating towards him because he seemed like a Baltimore dude. You know, other people in other cities might gravitate uh, to him, you know, for that. But I guess I like him because um, I just remember him from, you know, the, uh, 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 you remember the Flamers mixtapes? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, like, you know, his style is definitely progressing, even though some of his joints do seem a little redundant, you know, the same type of beat. But he's switching the flow up. He's not yelling as much and screaming. And um, I think his music, <coughs> excuse me, on the musical level, he's definitely, um, you know, slowly but surely um, evolving to where, you know, he's going to be around for a little minute. I mean, I remember, you know, years ago um, bumping, um, you remember my rosé red and my... Diamonds blue and I keep a bad bitch like five times too. Remember that song? Yeah. And it's like, it's funny because then I was like, yo, yo, like this is the record right here. Like this joint is is was popping in Philly. Then all of a sudden, Rick Ross and Ti on a remix, and then he just you know went from zero to a hundred. But um, I don't know. Is it? It's just interesting to see his uh. His career, and he, you know, I mean, he brags that, you know, it's a straight shot up, and it'll be interesting to see if it keeps going that way. Uh, yeah, well, man, I, I'm, I'm still kind of in shock, but you know that he did two hundred thousand his first week, but you know, just, I mean, just looking at the the entire field, you know, he's kind of the only. Um, street artists for real. I mean, because or even like you know your your young thugs and you know your your Fetty Wops, 
they had some type of weird, you know, you know, some type of eccentricity with them in some type of weird way. And yeah. they can kind of, you know, go into that hipstery um, type of crowd where, whereas though Meek Mill is just like the straight, you know, he, he's kind of like a boosie pretty much. He's like a, like an East Coast boosie in a way. I feel like, I feel like, uh, I feel like Bootsy has more of a, of a white hipstery following than Meek Mill does though. Like, I don't really see white people getting into Meek Mill like that. <laughs> you know, like, I guess for the, uh, hipstery white dude, Bootsy is like the, you know, ironic type of thing to listen to or whatever. Like, oh yeah, I'm listening to this because it's real. But, you know, I, I, I don't really see white people getting in the meat like that, but he's still, he's still uh, rocking. But, you know, he's under Rock Nation management. And when you look at the trajectory of their artists, you know, they start very um, humbly. And then out the blue, you know, you're not even paying attention. They just sell some crate some crazy amount of records out of nowhere and then you go back and look and see oh he did this and this and this and this like kind of like how j cole did it so um it'll be mm -hmm. interesting to see like how that rock nation strategy of you know developing and cultivating artists works for him yeah and you know um thinking about it meek mill may have sold more albums in his first week with this one that he did all together with with his uh, his first one. <laughs> That's true. I mean, they say this might be well. It's interesting. I saw some website and you know these websites, man. They just put whatever up for clicks. Like one of them said, this might be Meek Mill's first album to go gold. And it's like, yo, he's only had this is only his second album. Like, <laughs> I mean, yeah, but I mean, he's had. I mean, although we are in a different age, but he has had like a lot of hype that you would think that based on the intro alone and that he can do it at Summer Jam, that he could just just do, um, you know, gold because I'm, um, you know, gold real quick because he does have a following. And, you know, look at Wale. Um, well, see, I don't know. Actually, you know, a lot of these Maybach music people, they're all kind of like the same way. You know, the same thing. Same thing happened with Wale. Attention deficit did horribly. And then he comes back, he changes his style up a little bit, although he becomes a bit harder, although it's flower bomb. But yet, you know, he eventually goes gold, and I th and Lotus Flower Bomb alone went gold. I mean, Wale, in between Lotus Flower Bomb and this married single that he has with Usher and some other song that he had, I think he he's broken several records on if not just urban radio, radio in general, in terms of, um, you know, airplay and spins and stuff like that. And wow. uh, oh. he's a, he, he's a curious case because he has a serious, like he gets so much hate, but his, he has a serious fan base. He's almost like a commercial Talib Kweli almost like he has that core fan base. That's not ever going anywhere just because of the substance that he puts into a lot of his records. And, you know, another thing about Wale, too, is that he's had, or at least, he, you know, he, he had the um, the privilege of coming up, you know, being like, you know, one, one, of, one of the first blog rappers along with J. Cole, who were able to hurry, I guess in a way, hurry up and, you know, take, 
um, these fan bases and, you know, and, and hold on to them for quite a long time. Because I, I remember when Nike Boots was, like, really big and, you know, and Wale was, you know, he wasn't the Wale that we know today. He still wasn't, um, you know, as established. But I don't know, man. It, it's something about... It was kind of weird. I don't know. I, I, sometimes I feel like attention deficit, Just it, they just didn't do it. They didn't give it much attention, you know? Like... I mean, I think from what I with it, the single came out, you know, got premiered on 106 and Park and stuff like that. And that was pretty much it. Um, It wasn't picked up by radio. It wasn't really forced down. It wasn't shoved down people's mouths. And I think that when you went to Maybach, it seemed like Rick Ross really paid, or at least the people behind Maybach music or whatever, they paid more attention to him. And then also, while they had the opportunity to ride the coattails of Rick Ross when he was still ascending, with um, I think I think Dice Pon- didn't Dice Pondet was come out before um, a little before Wally's album or Lotus Flower Bomb or whatever. Or yeah, Miami. I think yeah, I think all that came out before, and then they put out that um, that self made volume one, which was you know a pretty great album to me. But I think the thing with attention deficit is that I mean the shit was just whack, like <laughs> and like you know. It had its highlights. It had its standout moments. It had songs that maybe weren't that great, but he was rapping on it, and the content was good. You know, it's but in general, like it's not some shit that you really want to listen to. Like you can't listen to that shit. Like it's just not good, especially when you you know look at everything that Wale put out before then and how much good shit that he had, and then the album didn't. Not only did it not sound like it, but, you know, even if it didn't sound like it, it just wasn't good. So I think that was the uh, the thing with that album. I mean, you couldn't really force it down people's throats because, like, number one, he wasn't doing the type of music that you can force down people's throats. And then the type of people that liked that type of shit didn't like it just because it wasn't good. Mm-hmm. But but do you think you know where Wally where he is now? Do you think that he's still? Um, I mean, because it seems like he's he's literally just catering to a to a specific audience, and he's still not exactly being the Wally that he originally was to a certain extent. I mean, I think even he'll say this. You know, artists have growth and they you know develop their styles and things, and I don't really. I don't really feel like he's catering to anybody because, you know, his songs, I mean, he has such a diverse range of songs. Like, you know, he may have, I mean, he has like, I think the main thing that he does is try to rap the best that he can and then let the song kind of fit around that. And I think the thing that throws people off about him is that sometimes the beat might not necessarily fit with him or he's not fitting on the beat. And, you know, the song just might not sound good, at least to me. You know, a lot of times his songs don't really sound good sonically, but sometimes he'll come around with one where you'd be like, oh, that's the joint right there. Like, um, I, you know, you know, the Wale that I, you know, like the most is the one who was on them Go-Go records, like them straight um, you know, the Dig Dug and the 
roll with a hundred. <clears throat> when the beef come, don't nobody want it. And like ice cream girls and good girls and, you know, all that type of stuff. And he still does, you know, a lot of that. And, you know, the you know the actual sound of Gogo, they have like different subgenres of Gogo now. And he's incorporating some of those into his music. But, um, you know, it's like... I guess it goes into the whole Jay-Z thing. And, you know, you want the old Jay, buy my old albums. Mm, yes. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's a good point. But, I mean, I don't know, man. When I heard uh, my that song, Ambition, man, it was... It, I mean, it just wasn't exactly him to me still. I still just can't see it. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, I mean... You know, I guess you get an influence around the people that you're around a lot too. So it's like you can definitely hear some of that 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 Meek influence. You know, like that sounds like something that Meek would probably do. That he probably got the idea. You know, just being around Meek, and Meek even said, you know, he doesn't really do like chick type songs. But you know, like a lot of times Wale would be in the studio with him, and you know, he wanted to get Wale's help you know, doing some more softer type of chick records and all that. So I guess, you know, you know, they rub off on each other in different ways. Pause. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't know, like, um, you know, when you look at Maybach music, you got Ross, Meek, and Wale. And then you have Stali, who nobody cares about really anymore. And um, Gunplay, who everybody's been looking out for. And um, I meant to send you this song. He has this new single out with, with uh, Rick Ross on it. And it literally sounds like they're trying to make BMF again. Mm-hmm. Like, it has the same sounds and everything. I don't even think Lex Luger did it. But it's like, yo, this shit is not going to work anymore. Like, y'all done ran this shit into the ground. It's time to find a new sound. Mm. Well, I mean, if I, you know, if I will say anything, I will say that, while, I mean, Wale, he is the most diverse, you know, and probably the second, I mean, out of Maybach music. And the second one would probably be, to me, um, Rick Ross, because we, we have seen him transition from that, you know, I guess that, I don't even know what you call it. You know, you know that trap, that that trap slash, you know, highly heavily sampled bass Scarface type of production, and then he went to the into the the lush yacht music type of type of thing going on, and then he transitioned into the straight trap and whatever he's doing now. And then Wale has been bouncing around, and I kind of think Meek Mill kind of stayed the same. Yeah, I mean, but, you know, Meek Mill's only on his second commercial release, so he has, like, a lot of time to grow and develop and all that type of stuff and, you know, get different influences. I'm sure Nicki will influence him to do some things. And, you know, like, even on this album, he has some some more relationship-oriented type of joints. So, you know, it'll be um, really interesting to see how how his career progresses. Um it's just like, you know, he doesn't really strike one as the person that's, I don't know, like, like you know, he doesn't really strike me as a type that's 
or he didn't strike me as a type that's, you know, going to have longevity in the game, but I think he's showing that, you know, he's proving all of that wrong just because he has that ambition and everything like that. So it'll be interesting to see. And, you know, he said he's coming for Jay. And he tells Jay all the time. And he said he thinks Jay respects that. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with that. Yeah. Um, well, you, well, I think they, I think overall, I think Maybach really needed this, you know, in the midst of, you know, Rick Ross going to jail and Meek Mill coming out. And looking at Wale's past two albums, which haven't they haven't gone anywhere, you know. Oh, and then they both go gold. Um, no, not from well, mm. Wikipedia. Doesn't tell me that. Oh. Um, but I know his singles have like, I don't know, like, <clears throat> like Wale. He's a he's a he's an interesting case. Like, I think I think they need him just as much as um as they need you know me. And Wale brings other people, like, you know, uh, I keep forgetting Fat Trail is, is uh, with them, too. I heard some joint with Fat Trail and uh, Rick Ross. So I guess maybe they're going to start pushing him along with Gunplay. So. Yeah, you know, I don't know. I think, I, think, I think Rick Ross kind of kind of messed himself up, though. I, th- I don't know, man, because he hasn't really been selling albums the way that, you know, he that he that he, that he was, you know. I mean, I think it comes with not necessarily growing it. It came out with last year, and the first one had different type of sounds on it and stuff, and it was cool. Um, I was surprised when he had that record with Sizzler and uh, Movado on it. But, oh, um, you talking about Mastermind? Yeah, 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 yeah Mastermind. Um, that was a pretty cool album to me. Um, the one that came out after that, I don't know, it was just like, it was more like a mixtape sound, but he just put it out as an album, so that didn't necessarily sell, so I'm, I'm curious to see what he's going to come with next, and if he's going to switch up his sound, um, or if he's just going to like keep hitting you in the head with Rick Ross, the way that you know him, and just get aged out of the game, I guess kind of like how 50 did. Yeah, I'm not going to lie, man, 50 is... <laughs> Whenever I hear him, man, it just sounds like something from 2003, 2004 or something. Yeah, I mean, he put out that new single with Jeremiah and um, I think two, was, was T.I. and 2 Chains on it. I, I, I believe they were. And I like the song, but I've only heard it once or twice, and that's just off of me trying to hear it, you know. So, you know, he's he's very stubborn, you know, sticking to his gun, sticking to his sound. Whereas, you know, maybe if he got on one or two trap beats, it might not be that bad. <laughs> I mean, but he, I mean, he kind of did, you know, um, off of uh, the second G in a way. You said the second G album? Uh, yeah. Um, you know, that I told you, boy, I'm so, you know, pretty much they were doing a parody of, like, you know, all the auto-tune that was going on. Oh, but, yeah. But that beat was kind of trappish. I mean, it, it was kind of one of those beats that, you know, kind of, um, I guess, prophesized what we are getting getting today. I mean, that beat to me, it kind of reminded me more of a, um, like a West Coast type, like, um, what's that group? 
uh, West Side Connection, like it's something like something that they would rap on. Mm-hmm. I mean, well, you know, I don't, I don't think Fifty would sound because you know he's not a fast rapper anyway, so I don't think that he would sound bad on a trap beat. Yeah, but you know, I guess he's stubborn and he's from New York and he's gonna do his thing. So yeah. you know, more power Hello. to him. Yeah. Hello. Hello. Yo. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So like, you know, more power to him. Um. You know, I enjoy well, the music that he makes if no one else does. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, you know, it, it, I remember on the, uh, I don't, don't know which one it was, maybe one one of the, the later, one of his later um, appearances on The Breakfast Club, and I, he was kind of explaining his career and like, what he's trying to do with it now, mm. and being patient, and he was trying to explain his whole process behind it. But it really didn't make any sense because it just it just really seemed as if he was thinking where you can actually still wait around for like that one song or something like that where you know everything is moving so fast now nowadays. Yeah, I mean, Fifty is from the mind state. I think I don't know. Like he's from the mind state that uh, you can just sit down and craft a good song. And it's going to do something. Whereas, you know, when you look at these kids now and you listen to that music, they ain't sitting down and crafting nothing. They just throwing some shit out there and whatever catches, catches. I mean, you got shit like the Nene, you got the Migos, you know, you got so much shit out here that. You know, like, 50's always talking about song structure and how you put it together and this and that. But, like, you know, that shit don't matter. Look at Trinidad James. Like, look at look at Bobby Schmurda. These are some people that did not know what the fuck they were doing. Yeah, that's, that's very true. And, um, you know, even, even Fetty Wap. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think I think Trap Queen is a uh, Negro spiritual status now. Uh, I mean, yeah, you know, I can, I, I, I yeah, I'm, I can, I can see that. I mean, they play the instrumental at kindergarten graduations. Oh, really? Yeah. Huh, that's interesting. Do you think that it'll be like one of those instrumentals and in songs that will just always stick around like how grinding has, surprisingly? Yeah. I mean, maybe, you know, maybe even more so because it has a melody. You know, you can't sing along to grinding. Yes, that's just that's such a weird song that I just, I, I just don't understand. <laughs> I mean, so is Hot Nigga. I mean, not, not really, not to me. I mean, it's just a... It's just a I think the thing about it was the dance, and the, and for some reason people love that beat so much, but I don't like it. I, that song. You said what? I said um I don't I don't really understand why a hot nigga became what it did. No, uh, what it is because I don't like I don't see nothing in the beat. It just <coughs> seems like it seems like a, a simple beat. Um, and I didn't like this. I don't like the song. I don't like the dance. I don't like anything I mean, about it. Yeah, I mean I like the beat. When Lloyd Banks was on it, but um, I mean, I mean, you know, the whole thing popped off off a of vine, and you know, 
That's what people are popping off of now, Vine. You know, you got these Vine comedians. People make careers for being comedians on Vine now. So, it's like, if it wasn't for somebody taking that and making it a Vine, it wouldn't pop off. It wouldn't have popped off. And so, the and I'm assuming the Vine was just, uh, you know, just pretty much the dance that he was doing. I think the Vine was him throwing his hat up in the air or something like that. And maybe some funny comment behind it or something. Basically, like, it was like a meme of somebody that I guess found this video and, you know, made some type of meme out of it. And it just popped off from there. Hmm. Huh. Yeah, I don't, man, I don't understand this, uh, this age of music anymore, man, you can't get MP3s barely anymore, you can't, you know, you, you, you sign up for a newsletter, one of your favorite artists, you can't even see her video, <laughs> oh, man, this is crazy. I mean, I don't know, I mean, I guess... You know, things always change and they're always in flux and, you know, whatever is changing that you don't like is probably opening the door for someone else to do something new. Like, I'm waiting for somebody to pop off off of Snapchat, you know. Man, I, I still don't really understand. I mean, I, I figured this, I thought Facebook would... Already had his reign, although you never heard off of, off of Facebook, surprisingly. I guess because it's, so, um, it's so private, I guess a lot of rappers can't pop off, off of it. But like I remember when Facebook first came out, and when I was in college, and you know, you had these Facebook songs, and they you know kind of spread back when people used to upload songs to SoundClick. <laughs> yeah, goddamn, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like, it, it was like two or three Facebook songs that were really popping, and then they kind of fizzled out. I guess you know people didn't have anything else to come with it. But you know MySpace, people used to pop off MySpace. You remember that um, Combat Jack with uh, Ryan Leslie when he was talking about what he did? Oh yeah, 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 about that weird algorithm or whatever, and the, yeah, um, yeah. Get a Google thing. Yeah. Yeah, that was uh, that was pretty interesting, man. But you know, things just become you know more complex, you know, day by day. I mean, it seems it seems complex, but it's really simple. Like now, you have more outlets. Like now, you just do some shit on your phone. You put it on Vine, or now you got Periscope, you got Tumblr, you got all these things. You just put that shit up, and then eventually, you know, if you have something that somebody thinks it's funny or something like that it's gonna it's gonna go <clears throat> yeah but i don't know i think a lot of that, a lot of that shit half the time is luck though man yeah i mean i know with a lot of it though <clears throat> um i think i think there's certain companies that will pay you for like your youtube video and they pay you for like the rights to use it, and then they end up um, using it and creating some type of like meme behind it or some type of marketing strategy and giving it some type of push, and then like somehow using it to promote some type of product. 
So I think like a lot of this shit is not as organic as they would make you think. Like like as they would make you think. I mean, well, I think that's what a lot of rappers, man. You know, like to all these different hip hop podcasts, and uh, you know, finding out how they became who they are, and you know, they 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 knew this person or knew that person, or you know, someone's cousin lived down the street from them. Uh, or even, you know, I, I was watching that Drake Obey Your Thirst documentary and, you know, he was talking about how people think that they, they still got to go to New York to, you know, to be heard. And he was like, man, you don't got to do that. I proved it. You don't got to move anywhere. <laughs> but he he moved down and he was associated with, with hip hop since 1987. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. I forgot all about that. Uh, Hop and G. Yeah, man. So, uh, I, I don't know what to say. You know, Jay-Z with Jazz O, and then he hops on Beyonce, you know, literally and figuratively. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when you think about it, the people, it's very few people who, like, really pop off without any type of, like, serious, Cosign, like I mean, you know, everybody gotta get a cosign somewhere along the line, but it's very few people who are just able to do it just straight on their own with nothing. Like I think of Fifty, um, even Joe Budden, like he got all his shit just straight on his own. Um, trying to think, who else? I guess you can you can argue Tech Nine. Yeah, Tech Nine. Uh, that's I mean, you know, I, for all these years, I thought Rick Ross kind of came out of, came out of nowhere. But then when you see that Trina video, and then you you hear about his career as a ghostwriter, then nah. Yeah, like he was, you know, he was in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And like you know, a lot of these people, they have connections based off of what they were doing prior to rap. It just so happens that somebody that they knew has something, and then they're like, oh, let me get in this some type of way, so. Yeah. But I like seeing people's journeys and seeing how they did it. Like, one of the most interesting stories to me is Rico Love. Like, you know, he's a big R&B singer, songwriter now, whatever, but he started off as just a rapper, and Usher signed him, and... You know, whatever happened, shit wasn't working for him. And Usher's like, yo, you got, you know, why don't you just try writing some songs? He ended up writing some of the biggest songs on Confessions. And, you know, now he's just starting to rap a little bit in between his singing. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know too much about Rico Love. Like, what, what's the song that he has out that people just know and love? Um, they don't know. They don't know. Okay. And um, I think he has some other ones too. So, yeah. And it's like, you know, he started his own label and then shit didn't go right with his artists or whatever. So I guess he just figured he got to do it himself. Hmm. Yeah, that's what's up. Although, you know, he still had that uh, the help of, you know... Of you know ha having Usher and all this and that. Yeah. I mean, I mean, look at Justin Bieber, man. Although he was 
I don't know. I guess maybe that was a bit organic, right? He was on YouTube and Usher happened to come across him or something. Yeah, but I don't know. You never know. Because, like, you know, when did Scooter Braun or whatever his manager's name is get into the picture? Like, a lot of, um, like, you know, you can't trust this YouTube shit. Because, um, <laughs> like, I'm trying to think. I guess Soldier Boy was kind of organic, and then somebody got with him, and then they cleaned it up. Who was he signed with? It wasn't JD. Um, uh, Mr. Collie Park. Yeah, 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 Mr. Collie Park. And, you know, I mean, I guess you do have these people who scour YouTube looking for shit to um, take and make some money real quick. But, like, you know, some of these joints, like, for instance, when you look at uh, Kendrick Lamar, and how Dr. Dre found, you know, you know, the story was Dr. Dre saw his video and, you know, it was magic from there. But, um, you know, um, he was already signed to Interscope when, um, when, uh, uh, Section 80 came out. Uh, all the... Yeah. Now, I think the way they did it was Interscope doesn't get any money off of that or whatever. But, you know, they kind of allowed it so that he could build his buzz so that, you know, they could kind of capitalize off of it. And they probably helped to push it and all of that. And somebody was saying, like, um, you know, you, you know, when you put out stuff like that independently and then you come out on the major, people go back and check your old shit and then that's straight profit for you. But he still had, you know, the whole top dog behind him, so... I don't um, know. I guess, uh, you know, you're only as strong as your team. Um, yeah, I mean, well, maybe I guess J. Cole can, can possibly go in the circle of organic people. Yeah, I mean, his joint just seemed like straight luck. Like, pass the CD to somebody who passes it to somebody else, and Jay-Z got a hold of it, and, you know, I guess they worked him organically. You know, luckily he was able to get with a company that, you know, had a vision for him that was able to work organically after he was signed. Yeah. And then, you know, and, uh, you know, of all people that you will probably think is, like, really organic, J. Electronica, <laughs> that was the least bit of it. Yeah. But, you know, I guess it is kind of organic because the album still isn't out. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but I mean, you know, you're you sleep you're sleeping on the couch at um at baseline. I it's wonder always in the back, always at all. Uh, yeah, I like like I wonder um, and I think maybe he was a cameraman for somebody or something. I want to say for a little bit, but like you know, all that shit that happened was after he had already broken up with Badu, I believe. So he was, you know, he, you know, he was definitely around. Um, I have a feeling that he's going to drop his album for uh, the Million Man March. Oh man, that'd be so corny. <laughs> I mean, when else would he? <laughs> I'm do sorry, it's just. I mean, now, so people can finally listen to it, so we can stop seeing these random pictures pop up with you, you know, with a big five percent chain on, and then you, you know, another picture with. A microphone and a big Congo drum. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious. I mean, I think, 
I think if he doesn't drop his album for the Million Man March, it's never coming out. Well, you know, if, if anything, if uh, if that does happen, I think Jay-Z's probably had a lot to do with that. He probably told him to do it. Yeah, he probably got meetings with Farrakhan every day. <laughs> yeah. I'm surprised. I'm, or maybe, you know, I, I, I saw something that Farrakhan did, like a message to the hip-hop community or something like that. Mm. I wouldn't be surprised if Farrakhan does like some other uh, video and he's and it's him announcing Jay Electronica's album. Oh man, you know Jay Electronica, he would uh, have a fit. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he would. I mean, well, I'm pretty sure he's very aware of uh, of Jay Electronica. Yeah, they wrote about him in the final call after the um, Brooklyn Hip Hop Festival last year. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I, I remember that. Yeah. Because um, I think people were upset about him, uh, you know, using profanity during his performance, you know, with the Fruit of Islam. And I think Farrakhan even made a statement like, look, this is how he expresses himself, blah, 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 like, you know, chill. <laughs> but I don't know, man, it's... I don't know, uh, when is this Million Man March supposed to be again? In the summer, right? What, in August? Nah, October 10, 10, 15. Okay. Are you going to go? Yeah, me and my girl, we're going down there. Oh, man, that should be that should be very interesting. But it's it all surprised that, like, the, I think the first one, or maybe it, maybe it was the second one they did, where they had, like, a Sharpton, I think Jesse Jackson speaking. They had like a lot of reverends and pastors and all this other type of shit. Yeah, you know, it's crazy. I went to the second one, but I think, <coughs> excuse me, we were, I think we were so far back, we ended up just dipping. But like, you know, we just had the experience. We walked from, um, from campus, from Howard University down there, and like, you know, like we marched down there. We all had the t shirts on and everything like that. And it was real cool. But I think I, I feel like I kind of missed out on the experience because I wasn't, like, close up to it or whatever. Right. And maybe, you know, I guess I was younger and kind of focused on other things that were going on at the same time. But, um, you know, I, you know, at the very least, you know, it's cool to be a part of history. But, you know, I do feel like... Um, if there was to be a leader of 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 uh, black people to listen to, you know, the only decent option that you have is Farrakhan, and you know, I mean, he don't really say anything that's 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 off base. Hmm. Well, I mean, yeah, but all the shit about a black leader, man. White people don't have a leader. Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's the whole thing of, um, you know, they're the dominant oppressive force, so any type of rebel, uh, I guess, uprising is going to have a leader to spearhead it, you know? Uh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's true, but... I mean, you know, if, you, if you're, you know, you want to go libertarian with it, I don't, I don't think... That will exactly be the case, right? 
Um, I guess it depends on what branch <laughs> of philosophy of libertarianism you uh, you subscribe to. But I mean, when you think about it, you know, white people have leaders when they need to have a leader. Like, you know, they had leaders when they came time to uh, separate from the British. Well, I, I don't know. See, well, it seems like a lot of times when leaders come around, they really just assume that they're the leader. Or history happens to look back on them as the leader, like how they do with Martin Luther King, where, you know, you had a great majority, a whole, a whole other sect of blacks who didn't, they didn't like anything he was doing. Yeah. And, you know, the founding fathers, they just knew that they were smarter than everybody and they just really wanted their land. <laughs> Around, think about shit and get drunk and have and talk about ideas while everyone else had to work and toil and shit. Yeah, I mean, you know, with um with leadership comes um everything that comes with leadership, you know. <laughs> um you know, you get the uh demagogues and the and and the dictators and uh all that other type of stuff comes with leaders. So I guess from like a libertarian standpoint you would say that you know, a lot of people would say that government is a necessary evil, unless you go straight, you know, anarchists. Like, you know, we don't need any type of government unless you volunteer to be involved in it. Yeah, see, that's the thing. You know, there are anarchists around, so you know, they don't. They, I'm sure, you know, the black anarchists out there probably don't want to hear about Farrakhan or Martin Luther King being their leader. Yeah, I mean, but, I don't know, I mean, I think anytime, anytime you have ideas and you mass, um, and you uh, mass broadcast them, and people start to listen to what you say and become influenced to it, or uh, influenced by it, um, you know, like it or not, you become a leader. Well, yeah, that's true. Um, like, so even even the people who are anarchists, you know, they're reading certain books and getting certain philosophies and, you know, they subscribe to different trains of thought that were put forth by certain people. And, you know, whether you want to put a title on it or whatever, you know, when you really think about it, they're a leader. Like, you know, Ron Paul is a leader of, you know, the libertarian movement or train of thought, just like, um, I guess, uh, you would say that, uh, Rachel Maddow is a, um, is a, is a leader of a certain brand of liberalism, and, um, What's her name with the with with the dreads and the lisp? I'm with Melissa Harris Perry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's a leader of another type of brand of uh, liberalism. <laughs> yeah, which I don't I don't even know what what these sects of liberalism are. Um, I guess it, I, you know, I guess it boils down to how far left you are. So you have uh, you have the you have the pretentious white college hipster liberalism <laughs> you have the black nerd liberalism you have the just don't know shit 
but just rock with liberalism because it sounds good liberalism and then you have the Bernie Sanders liberalism the socialism <laughs> mm -hmm. which and then you have you know your classical liberals like uh like, like uh Martin O'Malley or oh no I'm thinking about like a Thomas Paine or like a oh a, a, a Thomas Jefferson Oh yeah, well that, well that that's super classic though. You know, they, they still want it, they still want slaves. Yeah, I mean, you know what? I think um, I think uh, you know, the thing about Melissa Harris Perry is that I think she's like one of the people to like that that really came about that kind of really shaped and molded um black intellectualism a bit more properly you know because before her it was still kind of like scattered like you know you did you had you know michael eric dyson and you did have cornell west and maybe and maybe some other people but then when she came with you know with an entire show and she labeled it and she kind of made it her, her own thing it seemed like they were it just kind of out of call for even more black intellectuals to become more you know to, to you know to come to the forefront or to become more relevant than what they were before yeah um and it's crazy because like i think she has this new thing called Nerdland or something like that like, mm -hmm, yeah. yeah that shit is trending every saturday morning on twitter <laughs> oh really yeah damn man i didn't know i didn't know she was I was always curious to see like the, the type of going, and I mean, I guess it makes sense because um, you know when MSNBC when they like revamp this shit, this is oh this really got so liberal. <laughs> you know when they when they revamped, you know they did they did that whole like revamping of their lineup, and they included those two weekend broadcasts with uh, Chris Hayes and Melissa Harris Perry, and you know you have. This extreme white liberalism is in this extreme black liberalism. Yeah. To the point that you know you may not exactly know what they're talking about all because it's all it's like it's they they were like podcasts technically in a way to me that went on for like two hours at a time. Yeah. I I'm not I, I can't stand crusades. <laughs> oh man. I mean. I think um, I, don't know, I get Chris Hayes mixed up. Who's who's the um? It's uh, Chris Hayes is the uh, fat one who who uh, peed on himself because of Obama, right? I think I think you're thinking about um, Ed Jolts. Chris Hayes is the one. He's Rachel Maddow's. Okay, okay, uh, that's him. Yeah, puppet. yeah. Yeah, I can't stand him either. Even though you know. Before I kind of stopped watching MSNBC, you know, he seemed to be getting a little bit better. But, um, I don't know. I don't know what to say. Like, he is to Rachel Maddow what Sam Smith is to Adele. <laughs> yeah, you know, only person I can I can really stand on why Maddow because she does, I mean, and I think it's like the way she was, she presents certain things. Although, I don't know, I really can't, I don't know, something about, I just can't watch this stuff anymore. You know, then I try to, like, to bounce around different news, things to get more into politics, and I just can't do it. Yeah, I mean, 
I think when you when you really see how fake it all is and how much of a show it all is, like at the end of the day, it's entertainment. Like there's no or very little to gain intellectually from watching it, other than to be entertained by just people um, dissing each other. But they're doing it in a certain form to where it's considered intellectual and acceptable versus, you know, a hip-hop way of doing it. Yeah, but I mean, but I, I, I mean, even, you know, even if it's re-reading, you know, some type of article, a serious article on politics, I'm just, I'm just not into it. Maybe uh, I'm still going through a phase. I don't know, but I mean, I, but originally the reasons why I did watch Fox News and MSNBC, even listening to Rush Limbaugh, was to be entertained. I guess the same, the same way how I, you know, watched Pastor Manning uh, videos. <laughs> um, I think that um, yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, it is entertainment, but it's kind of like I think I'm to the point now where. You know how Joe Rogan says that he might have to stop commentating the UFC because of the head trauma and it gets to him? Yeah. Like, I'm to the point where I can't necessarily be entertained by this shit because, you know, at the end of the day, this shit is brainwashing people and then they're talking about things that affect people's lives. And it's like, this shit isn't an entertainment thing. Like, this is some real shit. Yeah, that's true. I don't know. It'll be surprising if Joe Rogan um stops commentating. No, we'll see. I I just I don't know. I really just can't. I can't see him do it. Like I stop mean, doing it unless like it really like something happens. I mean, he just seems like he enjoys his life too much. But like, I mean, I guess it's like. It's like, you know, do we stop using smartphones because we know that some people over in some third world Asian country are slaving over making these microchips? Well, that's true, but, you know, we, we they aren't televised on TV too often. <laughs> no, only when the factory uh, collapses because of uh, government corruption. <laughs> Or, um, you know, people jumping out of uh, windows because they hate their life. Yeah, and, you know, he's he's right there. And he has to be all excited about, you know, someone getting the shit kicked out of him in the head and blood flying everywhere. Yeah, I mean, you know, that UFC 189, whoo, I, I, mean, I still got to get through it. I didn't get to the uh, McGregor fight. And I still don't know who won, even though I kind of think McGregor won. Mm-hmm. But um, like <clears throat> that shit is brutal. Is it um? Is it up on the uh, UFC thing yet? Do you know? Nah, it's not up on that yet. Um, it's too. It's <clears throat> that's too recent. Man, that UFC fight pass. Man, that shit. At least on the phone, they need a better <laughs> app or something. Cause trying to find the shit that I want to see, like. <clears throat> Even some shit that I know is there because it was broadcasted for free on there. Like, I can't get to it. And this shit is frustrating. Yeah, yeah. I don't really like how it is either because, um, you know, let's say if you do like 
if you watch UFC 7, one of the related videos may not be UFC 8. <laughs> <laughs> and it's really retarded. I mean, even like down to... um. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Hey, you being all liberal, you can't say retarded. Oh, okay. My bad, my bad. Um, re- remedial. <laughs> and even, you know, if they have like UFC 7.5. The related video... For you, for UFC seven will probably be UFC eight, but UFC seven point five won't be there. What the fuck is UFC seven point five? Um, well, they had um, they would have like UFC All Stars or something like that, or they would like um bring back a whole bunch of people who were like kind of who were crowd pleasers mm-hmm. and just put them against each other. It wasn't like an official. They wouldn't be like a title belt though. Oh. So I think I think UFC seven point five I think that was UFC Revenge I think and so it was like a whole bunch of people trying to get vengeance, was <laughs> something yeah. Oh man, how long after UFC seven was that? Do you know? Oh, it was like um I think like like maybe three months later or something like that down the line. Oh, okay, so they had like a little bit of time to train <laughs> and recover. I mean that don't man there's no. Uh, God, man! They could, I mean, every five minutes there was someone, and they they couldn't appear, and you know they couldn't appear. But then you know in the previous pay per view they were telling you that this title match was going to happen, or something like that. But it's interesting, you know, seeing the progression of the UFC and when they really got like serious people um, to commentate, and when Bruce Buffer when he he kind of started out, he was still a bit shaky, and no one really knew what they were doing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's you know it's always interesting to see how things start. Yeah, even uh, Joe Rogan. Yeah, I mean, when you look at him from back in the day, he looks way different. Yeah, he does, man. Uh, it makes you it makes you wonder. I mean, I think he looks like a, I don't know. I mean, but that is what almost twenty years ago. But still, he looks really, like really different. I don't know, maybe maybe this has something to do with you know his um his workout regimen or something. I don't know. I was gonna say psychedelics. <laughs> <laughs> I mean. I mean, do they really change your physical appearance, though? I mean, they change, you know, your outlook on life and maybe your phys- the physiology of your brain to a certain extent. So, you know, maybe it could change your outward appearance. I mean, <clears throat> who knows? That's a very good point. Hmm. But it doesn't seem like he, he it doesn't seem like he does like a lot of it though. But who knows? I think he said a couple times a year. Okay, I thought you I thought you were gonna say a week. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, if you're doing some shit like DMT and having visions and shit, like <clears throat> that's kind of a lot. Yeah, I mean, but well. At least he's, you know, unlike a lot of people, you know, he he's very balanced, you know, in how he sees all these drugs, you know, he'll, 
he'll say some something about alcohol, but then he'll say that you know he enjoys ha drinking alcohol, he enjoys smoking weed. He can see why people do coke. I mean, like, you know, there's, you know, th there's different ways to look at it. There's the one of, you know, you shouldn't do this shit because it's going to fuck up your life. You know, there's all these harmful things that can happen. You can go on a bad trip and it'll fuck up your brain forever. Or you can look at it as, you know, we are um, biological, chemical beings. And... You know, you can treat yourself as a chemistry experiment. And, you know, just tinker with different things and see what happens. So. Yeah, well, he's better than me. Well, I'm going my chemistry with this uh, Dead Rise Old Bay Summer Ale. Brought to you by Flying Dog Brewery, who are not sponsors of our podcast, but Audible is, is a sponsor of our podcast, so we need you guys to go to audibletrial.com slash channel 10, sign up for your free trial, and listen to some books if you don't feel like reading or you don't know how to read. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, so. Um, anything else? <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's it for right now. I got a, um, damn, it's like almost four in the morning. <sighs> I gotta go do what I gotta do, get myself together for this journey of life that I'm going on tomorrow when the sun comes up. Which is in the wood, like. Two hours. Oh man, yeah. So, yeah. I guess podcast audience, I will bid you adieu. Hopefully, you enjoyed your experience listening to the Channel Ten podcast. Hopefully, you sign up at audibletrial.com/channel10 for your thirty-day free trial, and hopefully, you go to channel10podcast.com and subscribe to everything. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter. And also buy through our Amazon link, which is at the top. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> There's your punctuation. All right. Peace. Peace. Feeling this here. Yeah, son, you feel it, man. Roll up, son. You gotta just do it, yo. Yo, roll up, man. It's a different channel, son. Roll up, on, man. Roll up, watch the channel, son. Different plane now, man. So good. Roll up, all good, baby, in every hood, son. Roll up, yeah. CNN Network Channel 10. It's on again. Street niggas, it's grown men. Bold face, get in your face. Stay in place, yo. Crime lace. Cast more beef than Scarface. CNN Network. Channel 10, it's on again. Street niggas, this grown men. Bold face, gather your face. Stay in place, yo. Crime lace, catch more people.